Welcome to the Master Builders Podcast, the podcast where we discuss issues affecting the building industry. It's the podcast by Master Builders for Master Builders. I'm your host, Max Rafferty, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Mr. Robert Shaw. Hi, Robert. Hey, Max. Good to be here. Lovely to have you here. So we're here to talk all about moisture control. Moisture control, what's it mean to you, Robert? Moisture control, it's a big one. So moisture, when I think of moisture in today and what we deal with in the building industry, first thing that comes down to is energy efficiency, which has caused a whole heap of knock-on knock issues with moisture from inside a home. So we talk about moisture and water ingress. Now we're talking about actually moisture coming from the inside trying to get out, which leads to, I guess, air tightness of a home. So by trying to be energy efficient um, in, in, in uh, reducing power and things like that to, to warm and cool a home, we've created this space that is now airtight. And from my understanding of talking to uh, builders and consumers around Australia, is this problem we're encountering in every state and territory? It makes me wonder because I think as um, as energy efficiency moves away from a, a regulated space of minimum standards, which I guess is what we're used to having regulated in the building industry, and we start to move into better practice standards, especially around energy efficiency. There's a lot of knock-on effects that I think as an industry we've probably missed. Uh, and I can give you an example of one. I, I was talking to someone yesterday who was started to ask me about um, dehumidifiers. Do I know anything about dehumidifiers? Do, you know, I, I've been told I need to buy one for my apartment and – and I was thinking, oh, why, why? Why do you need to do this? And she said to me, well, what, I, what we're finding is that on the inside of our aluminium framed windows, they're getting, they're getting condensation. Um, and I think it's, you know, the, the unit itself is probably 10 years old. Yep. So one thing I do find, Max, is people – First thing they think of when they have an issue inside a home, the builder's done something wrong. So that can happen fairly quickly. So it's just a matter of how they're living in the home that's causing the issue. Uh, all the ones I've been out and had a look at is generally how they're living in the home, which is creating mould, is creating water running down the inside. As I said, if we look back at what's happened over the last 10, 12, 15, 20 years, our houses used to have hopper windows. They used to leak like a sieve, so you had plenty of air coming in there. Your front and back doors weren't that airtight. You had air coming in out there. Now we don't. Our windows are fairly, if you've got them shut, they are airtight. If you've got your front door shut, you know, you've got aluminium doors, you've got seals, they're all pretty airtight. Your spaces are a lot smaller. It's great for heating and cooling a home, but as far as trapping moisture and air circulation, and some of these properties now have dryers and washers internally, um, it does become a problem with ventilation. So, And a lot of people use exhaust fans some people don't use them when they should, and then when you're finished with an exhaust fan, finished in the bathroom, leave them on for 15 minutes to clear all that moisture out, which people don't do either. So there's some things you can do, but it's a difficult to educate people on what needs to happen. Do you think we've been caught off guard as much as everyone else on this? Um, I think it's a change totally. We've gone down the right path as far as energy efficiency goes, but what we haven't really, uh, I guess, understood is the knock-on effects 
to what's happening and by that it's catching a lot of builders out when it's not really it's our problem by default where the regulation really hasn't dealt with the knock-on effect which ends up back with the builder and the consumer well today's topic might be one that affects many builders around australia and homeowners to help guide us through the ins and outs of moisture control we're joined by jesse clark from pro climber now jesse's a bit of a guru when it comes to managing moisture in houses Jesse is a building scientist and an engineer and works in a technical lead role for ProClimber, servicing Australia and New Zealand, and is keen to help builders solve moisture control issues. Welcome to the show, Jesse. Thank you, Max. Um, thanks for having me along. Uh, it's great to be here. Just to kick off, what got you interested in building envelope design? Well, the history and how I got into this was basically I I started off doing an engineering degree um, at University of New South Wales, which actually, well, slightly related to buildings in that it was um, in photovoltaics, solar energy. And I actually ended up getting a consulting role for an engineering firm after I left uni, which um, specialized in energy efficient buildings. Um, and essentially compliance with the building code energy efficiency uh, regulations. So a lot of that was around insulation levels and glazing performance. So specifying R values of insulation, U values of glass and solar heat gain coefficients of glass. Um, But that was only the early days. And then after that, I moved on to a um, building product supply company and I learned that Buildings are a whole lot more and energy efficiency is just one part of the puzzle, obviously. But um, when I started thinking more holistically about this and more about building science and researching what's happening around the world in Europe and America, it came pretty obvious that energy efficiency is part of good design. But really fundamental to good design is the primary uh, functions of what we're trying to do is keep the occupants um, dry and warm. Uh, so to keep the, the moisture out of buildings is probably the biggest issue that we have in uh, buildings. And then this also overlapped with all the fire requirements, acoustic requirements, and we're asking our building envelopes to do all these things um, as well as be energy efficient now. And that holistic design, which is essentially building science, getting all those things to work properly together, is um, how I got interested in this um, holistic sort of um, solutions to building envelope design. Right, because I mean, I know that as an industry, I know we go, well, what are building scientists? It's kind of an extension of what builders would take as a basic, which is we're building shelter, we're trying to keep moisture out and as buildings get more complex. Yeah, I guess it's a good question. I mean, what is building science? I mean, is there any science in buildings? Well, if you go take a few steps back, you actually go, well, actually, there is a lot of science in buildings. Uh, On a product level, and the product manufacturer is developing products to be more durable or more UV resistant or uh, higher temperature resistance or whatever it might be. But as opposed to building science on a systems development level, where you're talking about how do I build a wall system to do all those things I want I want it to do all the things that the building code wants me to do um, and all those different segments with um, fire acoustics, energy efficiency, uh, health and amenity, all those things. Uh, And it all comes together. How do you actually put those materials together to make it all work? And yeah, as I said, fundamental to that is, is the moisture control as in liquid water ingress, which is one of the first things 
that a building has to do, which is a no-brainer. Um, but historically, we've relied a lot on um, trial and error. So we end up with systems like brick veneer, which is not a bad system, but it's it's a history of use and basically trial and error that we know this thing works. It drains the water out and generally it's okay. Um, it's when you start changing dynamics of everything and we start putting more requirements on top with energy efficiency and whatever else we're trying to achieve in building better buildings for future generations, then the dynamics of the whole system start to change. So when we're talking about moisture control in this context, are we talking about moisture control in relation to like, like the weather? Well, that's a very good question because I see that word moisture and you go, well, okay, what does moisture actually mean? And you're like, well, okay, it's what, liquid water? It's water vapor held within air. Uh, so it's essentially water in its gaseous form. So you've got humidity. Um, and then, or is it actually moisture stored within porous building products that then could go on to cause problems. Uh, so if I've got soggy timber, um, how long before that timber starts to rot uh, or starts to grow mold? So moisture in the envelope? Yeah, so moisture we're talking about, yeah, in building science or building envelope physics, we're talking about the moisture within the building materials that is at a threshold that's likely to cause damage or perverse outcomes for health. So that moisture, the way New Zealand looks at it, um, which is quite good in their regulations, is external moisture and internal moisture. External moisture meaning the rain and the weather, and internal moisture meaning all that humidity that's generated by the occupants by cooking, cleaning, bathing, whatever they're doing inside the house, giving off humidity into the air, which then can provide that um, or, or have the consequence of that dreaded condensation. Right. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, actually, um, because obviously we've, we've got new clauses that have just come into the 2019 building code, you know, specifically looking to address some of the, the issues that we're seeing around the country with condensation. I guess what I wanted to, to, to ask you about was, I guess, those, those code requirements, what are they addressing? Yeah, so there's new code requirements around condensation um, which fall into the health and amenities section of the code uh, because water itself or condensation is not a problem. It's water. People love water. Uh, it's not dangerous to humans. What happens is if things are wet for too long a period of time, then you end up with things like mold growth start occurring. And Generally, it's generally accepted that mold's not a good thing to have in your buildings. I'm not a expert in the health effects of mold, but um, in order to stop mold growing, the best way to do that is keep your buildings dry. Uh, so that means back to the moisture sources, either external moisture, i.e. liquid rain coming through the building envelope and getting trapped, or internal moisture from inside the house diffusing or going through gaps and cracks into the structure and condensing on surfaces you can't see within the wall or roof assembly. Uh, and then you end up with potential mold growth. But this is all climatic-based as well because some climates are a lot colder, some climates are a lot more humid. So we've got the tropics with a lot of moisture in the outside air and we've got the cold climates with very cold surfaces on our buildings. So, so with these climatic differences around the country, 
is there certain climates which pose greater risks? Is there certain housing types that increase the risk of condensation? In terms of condensation or moisture control in general? Well, let's go condensation. Yeah, okay. So, um, so there is, um, I mean, how many different construction types do we have? There's, there's probably hundreds of them out there. Um, but you're talking about single-story houses versus multi-residential. Uh, multi-residential big concrete boxes often get built. Uh, freestanding houses often have a drained or ventilated sort of cavity system on the outside, whether it's brick veneer or a lightweight fibre cement cladding. And historically, we know that those ventilated cavities are very good for keeping your building dry. And because they help for that, because they enable moisture to be um, essentially expelled from the system from inside the studs or the insulated cavity systems but when we start going to the selection of materials then as soon as you come down to the point and you start talking about putting anything that's a vapor barrier so something that stops water vapor transferring or drying through the uh, materials is a vapor barrier and vapor barriers are generally things like aluminium foil and that's why we wrap our food in it and put it in the fridge um and then we have glass and steel. So anything that's a continuous glass or continuous steel um, sheeting on a building could potentially trap uh, moisture. So it can't diffuse through it and dry out. So the only thing that the moisture or the humidity is left to do is to condense onto that surface. Because I've noticed the majority of buildings are, I guess, wrapped or sucked. Are some of these products r- risky? Um, so... <sighs> Historically, we've wrapped our buildings, but probably wrapped them with very minimal amounts of fibrous insulation in the um, stud base or in the construction cavities. So as you start wrapping something with a vapor barrier, a piece of foil on the outside of a highly insulated structure, then that foil gets colder. If you get a cold piece of foil, then you get exactly the same effect that happens to your cold beer in a pub on a Friday Arvo. You get condensation forming all over it. Uh, so this can be happening inside your wall cavities in the cooler parts. And as you mentioned, southeast of Australia, Victoria, um, the higher altitude regions of the um, Great Dividing Range, uh, Canberra, and we've also got places like the Adelaide Hills, which um, I've had a few um, inquiries from there as well. So these cooler regions are showing up first as the, I guess, the, the canary in the coal mine. Because um, as we insulate more, we're going to create this th- these colder surfaces. Yeah, I've spent some time in Tasmania recently, and um, one of the things that's being strongly communicated by, especially the residential sector down there, is the the issues that have been thrown out by people trying to make buildings highly energy efficient, but also then finding issues with condensation. So. Tassie, being one of the coldest places in Australia, is going to be the first place that's going to show up the problems uh, because essentially, yeah, that, that exact, you don't have to insulate it as much for those problems start to emerge because you're getting that colder external cladding, colder membranes on the outside. So if you've got a foil in there, it's going to start condensing a lot earlier than other parts of Australia. So is there something about, now I know that you've just mentioned about the temperature in Tasmania, but is there something else, you know, is there something about the Tasmanian climate which apart from temperature which makes it so i guess susceptible to to condensation risk 
the exterior climate, um, so what's happening outside in terms of wind, sun, rain, all that stuff, I mean, it's it's generally a lot colder in temperature and less sunshine as well uh, in the winter months. So in, in the winter months, you, um, you're not getting that drying effect. Uh, sun on buildings actually dries a lot of, drives a lot of um, ventilation, exterior um, drained and ventilated cavities as well. Uh, so, so you get a lot of air movement happening in those cavities when you get sun on the walls or the roof. Uh, so if you've got no sun, you don't get as much air movement, not as much drying capacity. But if you've got an aluminium foil within that construction system, then you're basically living within a sealed plastic bag, if you like, and it's, none of that water vapour can es- escape or diffuse through those materials to the outside world. So, so we, we essentially just end up with water right in the structural frame of a building. Yeah, on the inside of the sarkin, um, it basically ends up accumulating in the, the timber structure. And we're trapping it there through our construction method, essentially. You're, you're trapping it there through the selection of materials. Um, construction methods um, can remain relatively similar, but the selection of materials um, might need to change. On a wall system, on a roof system, yes, the construction method might have to change altogether in that climate zone. And that's likely the outcome that we do have to change the way we build because the insulation has changed the dynamics of our buildings. So is it a building Is it a building style or do we just need to be more mindful of what we're building with? We've got to be more mindful of what we're building with, but the purpose and function of all those different layers in the construction systems. Because the only way, if you have a steel sheet roofing on your building, the only way to get water vapour from the underside of that roof to the outside is to somehow ventilate under that steel roof. But by saying that, I'm not saying ventilate the whole roof cavity because what you need to do is have controlled ventilation in the right places. So if you have a sarkin layer that is vapour permeable and you have um, ventilation between the sarkin layer and the sheet roof iron, you can create a, a, a generally a, um, an airflow path up under that steel roof to drive off moisture. But it's not always going to be driving off moisture. Sometimes it's going to be condensing. So the coldest parts of the night when it's everyone's asleep, it'll be condensing. And then during the day when it slightly warms up, you might get some sun on there and drive the drying effect. Right, so, so understanding your material and also understanding airflow would be crucial to making sure that these weren't issues. Yes, yes, and you've got to be careful with all this because airflow is often just seen as a silver bullet, just pump more air into something and she'll be right, which is not necessarily the truth because um, it, it's where you want to put that air or where you want to have high airflow and where you want to restrict airflow because air itself can have a lot of moisture in it, humidity, in the form of humidity. Uh, so high humidity air, which can be generated inside buildings, if that diffuses into or goes through gaps and cracks in the structure, then it can actually feed that condensation problem. So humidity coming, for example, from a living space going up through some vented downlights into a roof space um, is carrying a lot of moisture that can then feed condensation on the bottom of a steel roof sheet. The question is, how do you drain that condensate off the steel roof sheet so that it doesn't form or doesn't lead to damage? So are we best trying to minimise air permeating from the inside of a building we want to control how that air movement moves through the building envelope is 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 that the is that the answer we're coming to 
I think you're essentially spot on. Um, what because when you take a step back and go, well, why did we add insulation in buildings? What what were we trying to do, or what are we trying to do? We're trying to control heat flow. So if we're trying to control heat flow and we don't control the air and water with that heat flow, then the water starts doing weird stuff. And that weird stuff is condensing on cold surfaces. So we're now talking about controlling temperature through insulation, controlling airflow through properly um, implemented air barriers, and controlling water vapour through choosing materials that can um, either allow or prevent moisture from flowing in certain directions in certain times of the year. So over the last 15, 20 years, we've we've really started to look at how we can better insulate buildings, not only for comfort, but also for saving on energy bills and things like that. So now we're really looking at, I guess we're we're really looking to um, hone in on how to build this way better. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Um, that's, that's what it's coming to. And it's, it's, it's come to this. I mean, the reason we have a pretty good idea of what's going to happen is because we're not the first country in the world to implement energy efficiency provisions in our building code. Uh, we're actually far behind other parts of the world, including Europe and America. Um, so they actually already had these problems. Um, and the physics is the same behind how air and moisture work together and how much moisture air can hold is the same no matter where you are in the world. Um, so what it comes down to is essentially applying those those theories and the, the methodologies of construction to, to modify um, systems that can control not just the heat flow and energy for energy for the energy efficiency reasons, but also control the moisture for health and durability. Because moisture is a precursor for mould, but it's also a precursor for things starting to swell, timber starting to swell and um, distort uh, potentially timber rot if it gets extreme. Uh, so these this then moisture provides um, basically a damage function that, that affects the whole lifetime of that structure. What do you think the solutions are? Yeah, where where are, where are the answers to this problem? <laughs> so, so the solutions lie in first of all accepting that things might have to be tweaked and changed a bit in terms of the way we our construction methods, and not just try and do the same thing and expect a different result. You know, is that something as a builder? Is that something I can do on, on the fly, or does this problem need design solutions? I would say that this problem needs design solutions, but anyone in any solution can break the chain. So the designer, if the designer doesn't design it right, you've probably got a problem. But a builder with high resistance to change could essentially undo a a design that was implemented for a particular reason to manage these sort of issues. We've all heard, oh, I've been doing it for 20 years this way, you know. So, so there's a bit of movement required from, from industry in what, what they might understand and yes. what, how, you know, what they need to do to, to, I guess, solve our piece of the puzzle. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I think that, um, yeah, it's, it's always a good question to ask why um, in any case about anything and um, understand things and what's happening and why people have done things a certain way. Um, and I guess there's that big overarching question, why do we need to change? And fundamentally, um, there needs to be some changes to, to manage this, um, this moisture issue. It can't 
you can't keep building the same way we have for the last um, 50, 100 years. Yeah, it's, it's a really big challenge. Um, now, what role is product, are products going to play in this? Products are generally never going to solve a problem all by themselves. It's systems. It comes down to systems. So those products, um, for example, I mean, what ProClimber sells are membranes, but the systems that come together are basically made by how you seal those membranes together. So the taping systems, the sealants, and things that turn those products into systems. When you're talking about membranes, what do you mean? So when we're talking about mem- okay, sorry. So traditionally, uh, I guess the term is sarkin. It's sarkin. By definition, a sarkin is something within that building structure that's going to drain moisture safely to the outside of the building. But when I say membranes, we're talking about, yes, those sarkin membranes that can drain water to the outside of the building, preferably without aluminium on them because they trap moisture. So our ones allow vapor to diffuse through them, which enhances drying capacity. But then also internal membranes, which has never been talked about in the Australian context before, which stops water vapor from inside the building going into the structure. So these membranes can be located on the inside of the um, timber or metal framing structure to stop that water vapor going in. So essentially what you're doing is creating a little cocoon for the people to live in, uh, which is good from an energy efficiency point of view. And then the humidity can be managed by... um, by ventilation as well so using ventilation continuous background ventilation to keep the indoor humidity low so that doesn't go into the structure and cause damage so membranes are only part of that solution so then you've got how those membranes are all joined together as well as the building as a system incorporating some form of ventilation in there as well now you just mentioned internal membranes so i I, just let me see if i understand exactly what you're saying so you're talking about a membrane on the internal skin of a building yep so we're talking about a air barrier membrane that sits on the inside of the stud frame and and or the roof trusses or whatever however you've constructed your roof so it sits on the inside um just behind the plasterboard linings now and you spoke earlier about the permeation of moisture that had been created inside so say someone cooking and you talked about that moisture traveling into the structural frame and is that 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 membrane on the inside skin is that going to stop that this is this is a really good question because will it stop it yes it will greatly reduce it but it has to be installed correctly and that's what it comes down to that system and the approach of all the components that go with that membrane. So the, the tape seals and the, and the um, compounds to, to make the junctions to, say, the floor slab or to um, intersecting walls or to masonry walls that might be um, located within that structure. So you need to make sure that all those joints are very well treated. And that's where it comes down to that whole system being an airtight system, just the membrane itself and putting that staple into the wall won't give you an outcome. So you've really got to be considering how you treat that membrane. The membrane on its own is not a fix. Just specifying a product in any solution for any building is not a fix. And just for drawing a dotted line on a page is not a fix. It has to then um, come down to the skill of uh, the master builders to come in and um, implement these products properly to get the outcome. I mean, I know from myself, you know, I, I look at this and I say, well, I, these are pretty solid solutions. I'm going to put a lot of work into making this happen. If I want to test how successful I've been, is there ways I can check this before I carry on construction? Or is, is you know, do I just have to look at it and say, oh, look, I've done a great job and hope that I have? 
Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, yes, there is. Uh, so, for those of people out there that have ever seen grand designs and shows like that from um, Europe or UK, um, you may have seen or people may have seen um, what's known as a blower door put onto a building uh, to test the air permeability. So, a blower door is just a giant fan. And you generally put it on an external door, so the front door is fine, and it fits in to the front door, and it pressurizes the building, and then you can basically find leaks um, in that air barrier system. Uh, so you can feel that, or there's other diagnostic techniques using smoke and all sorts of other things um, to be able to see where the air is coming if you've missed any spots. So this is kind of like a quality control of your air barrier system. You make it sound pretty easy to do. Is it? Is it easy to do? Is it an expensive test? So the thing is, if you're contracting someone to come in, if you're a builder and contracting someone to come in, you probably don't want to do that until you're looking for a validation. So what you probably want to do is which is I think is a very good idea is to have in your kit a fan for yourself because it's not hard to put a fan on a front door, crank it up, and then you literally feel where the air is coming from and if you've got a problem, you fix it uh, before you start going down that validation route and paying someone to come in and do it for you. So the fan then just has to be able to pull air. It doesn't have to have any... um, scientific metrics or pascals or any of this jargon stuff you just put it on create airflow and then find the leaks um, and then fix them before you put the internal linings on and then you get a really good outcome do you have any recommendations for resources that builders can use to help create better homes building science is a much bigger phenomenon in u.s and there's a lot of literature out there, but it's not necessarily always good. So it's a matter of finding the reputable sources uh, and around this moisture management stuff. So it, it, it's, it's a complex um, web of information. And I guess um, in terms of reputable sources, it's no. <laughs> come, come, yeah, I, I don't know how to answer this. Sorry, Max. It's um, off the top of my head because we don't actually have a guide. What you're telling me is that there's a, there's a gap. Master Builders needs to um, plug a plug a hole. Well, there, there is, there is, because I would say, I, I would like to be able to say, go to a CSRO um, developed guide, and it has all the information, but there's not one there, and and this is this is the problem. Um, so this is where, for example, I would like to work with Master Builders exactly on this issue. Um, let's fill this void. Let's let's get um, the information out there, the correct information, but it has to be by a reputable organisation, um, and it also has to have the right science and the right information feeding into it, um, so that you don't end up um, telling people the wrong thing. <laughs> totally, it's such a such a funny question. It just totally blew both of us. That's awesome. <laughs> um, okay, Jesse, how can people get in touch with you if they want to learn more? I guess the best way to get in touch with <laughs> ProClimber in general is um, through our website, www.proclimber.com.au. Thanks for your time, Jesse. Thanks for being part of the show and um, sharing your experience with us. All right. Thank you, Max. Thanks for having me. I could talk to Jesse Clark all day about moisture within buildings. Robert, what did you take away? Yeah, Max, I listened to that one. It was one that's quite of um, captured my attention over the last few years as we, our buildings have got smaller and under legislation we've got to have these more airtight for energy efficiency for heating and cooling, which makes sense. But the knock-on effect we're dealing with as an industry, I guess not only in getting that right, but 
the air circulation, the moisture inside a building. Uh, it's great having them airtight, better for heating and cooling, but it certainly doesn't deal with the um, quality of the air inside a building and the moisture that we trap. And if the consumer doesn't use the windows properly, we end up with water running down, we end up with mould and things like that. So I think there's a lot of education there. And unfortunately, that education shouldn't happen after legislation. All that education and training and all the science behind any of that that we need to be doing should have been thought of beforehand. I, I just don't think it's acceptable for our industry, for the industry on the run, um, for businesses trying to figure out what works and what doesn't work, and especially for the consumer as well. So, yeah, we've got some work to do, so it's quite an interesting listening for me. Did you hear something in today's show that you wanted to write down? Don't worry, we've taken the notes. You can access the show notes at masterbuilders.com.au forward slash podcast. Also, please take the time to subscribe and leave a rating. And don't forget to tell your friends, workmates about the podcast or even bring it up at your next toolbox talk. I'm Max Rafferty. Until next time, stay safe.